This is B-Side, I'm Tamara Keith, and we are at the E4All Gaming Convention, uh, which is a video gaming convention, and wh where are we now? What is the Entropia Universe? You are in Entropia Universe, basically, yeah. And, and who are you and what is it? My name's John Bates, and I do business development and marketing for the Americas for Entropia Universe, and uh, we are a massively multiplayer online virtual world. The big thing that makes us different from all of these virtual worlds that people are hearing about now is that we've got gameplay, we've got social aspects, we've got a lot of exciting, cool things to do, and we have a real cash economy that's back 10 to 1 to the US dollar. So our project Entropia dollars, which we call PED, if you have 100 of those, that means that you can take $10 out of the game into your bank account in real cash. So all of a sudden, your time inside the game becomes an investment, not just spent time, you know? So you could have your life sucked away by this game and justify it. That's right, yeah, you could actually pay the rent if you're good. So can you show me how this game works? Yeah, so I'm right near Palms Corner, a really cool little town that I just discovered, and I am uh, mining. Okay, so I'm gonna call up my Ziplex JU-10 Matter Seeker, and you can see I've got 54 more charges, okay? Now I'm gonna back out so that you can see this. There I am running, you can see my cool cowboy hat and my armor, and when I push this, I'm going to drop a bomb, so watch. It's a little uh, thing, it zips down, see that? And now it's, you'll see the screen shake as it blows up, and it's checking if there's any ore or materials in. There we go, I found a resource. And so when, when do you do this, like when you're not at a gaming convention? How, how do, do you like wake up and you go, Pat, I need to mine this morning? A lot of people like to mine after work, because it's pretty relaxing. And you take a gun along, and if you're out mining and you all of a sudden get attacked by animals, you can do a little hunting too. But it's nice to just run through the wilderness and mine, and you don't have to worry about damaging any actual resources. Right now, there's no animals around here, so I haven't really been hunting much. But if you want to, I could teleport somewhere else and show you about hunting. Okay, that'd be cool. All right, cool. So now, uh, here we go, I'm gonna teleport. See all the red dots on the screen? There's a lot of animals, but I can't tell where they are. Oh, there we go. They're not too bad, yeah. Sometimes there's birds, but here's one. This is a pretty easy one for me to kill, so I'm gonna shoot it. It's gonna get mad and come running at me. And uh, since I'm really good, oh, see, I wasted some bullets there. But now I'm gonna run over and I'm gonna loot this animal. Uh, oh, that one's very dangerous. Yeah, this just seems like a foreign language to me. To me, it reminds me of when I was in junior high and my ex-boyfriend would go play Dungeons and Dragons with his friends and I would have no idea what they were talking about. I mean, this, do you see a similarity? I definitely see a similarity. I remember myself playing Dungeons and Dragons in junior high and staying up until three or four in the morning with my friends, painting our characters and then having these war games. Not to slightly rain on this parade, but it, is it is it this as nerdy as I remember Dungeons and Dragons being? Now, is is being nerdy raining on anyone's parade these days? Like, I, I think being nerdy is the coolest thing ever. No, I, I agree. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here with headphones on yeah, right. talking to you. Yeah, no, this is ultra dorky. I mean, in a, in the most awesome way, this is nerdy. 
right? For me, what nerd means is somebody who's smart, somebody who's willing to like be a little bit more exciting and interesting than mainstream, someone who doesn't really care what other people think so much. I think in the best way possible, it's super nerdy. So we have a story coming up that's from this guy, Ethan Lindsay, who, much like you, uh, is nerdy and totally used to be into Dungeons and Dragons and is proud. Middle school lunch period. The jocks are playing basketball. The Soshis are sitting in the quad gossiping. There I am with my friends in Miss Belcher's math classroom rolling 20-sided dice. And not just 20-sided dice, because really, a 20-sided die is only good for certain things. See, if you're going to make a saving throw or choose turns or something like that, well, then you're going to need a 4-sided, 6-sided, 8-sided, or even 10-sided die. We had all of them. Jed Meacham was one of my best friends in middle school. We would sit around making up characters together. Mostly, I created druids. Jed mostly made mages. Making up characters involves rolling the dice a bunch to see what your character was good at, what we would call your attributes, things like strength, wisdom, charisma, and dexterity. So did you have any standard stuff you did when you made your characters? Cheated. Like, I don't think it was mere coincidence that everybody, the person like, yeah, I rolled a whole bunch of sixes. That's crazy. Like, the lowest attribute anyone had would be like 16 out of 18. It's ridiculous. No. Jed and I have many times commiserated over the slow death of Dungeons and Dragons. Jed, our friend Russell Calkins, and me, we think video has killed the D&D star. Kids like us no longer roll dice. They log on and play video games. Games like World of Warcraft the most popular online game of all time. Millions play it every day. Beyond the dark portal lies a universe of unending conflict. Computer games may have the same ideas, that ability to create your own character out of random numbers, and the option to choose your own adventures, but are they the same really? It had been so long since any of us had thought about how to actually play D&D that we decided to maybe crack the old books and see what it'd be like to go again. First, we had to go to a store to find all the books and the dice. So we drove down to a game shop in Portland, Oregon, and found ourselves thrust back to the early 90s. That was when we, as middle schoolers, would walk into the local hobby shop and feel embarrassed for the awkward 30-somethings buying Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Now, we were the awkward 30-year-olds. Hey there. I'm a radio reporter, and we're doing a story on how maybe computers affected role-playing games. And so we're just kind of trying to reminisce about our old <laughs> playing role-playing games and then not mm -hmm. now. And we're gonna play some, I bought out all my old books, you mm -hmm. know? And we're gonna try to play some tonight, but we don't have any more dice. Oh, I got sets, I have okay. loose as well too, so. Okay. It's like yeah. the red, there's 350, yeah. one okay. of each shape, extra 10 for percentage rolls. Okay. In walking around the store, I stumbled onto something I didn't even know about when I was a teenager. D&D classifieds and personal ads. <sighs> New campaign D&D recently moved to the area and would like to dungeon master for a group of dedicated players. RPG, role-playing game experience, is preferred but not required. Alcohol and drug use is prohibited and a basic level of personal hygiene is expected. Now, with all the necessary tools, we drove back to Russell's apartment and started playing. But here's the weird part. We didn't even roll the dice once. We just talked, 
and we realized that wasn't really all that unusual. I don't really ever remember like actually playing that much at all. I mean, like, I'd read all the books constantly, like, when I was, like, hanging out with myself at home, and then we'd get together. To, you know, it's just this this little fantasy world that we do a lot, but, like, it's just a conduit to, like, kids like us who were wildly socially awkward that could get <laughs> yeah. together and get, like, ramp, really ramped up about something, and then that, like, gets us into a social, you know, a socialization system. That's what people always We have all these memories of Dungeons & Dragons, but the memories mostly involve just hanging out with one another. They have less to do with playing the games. So then my question is, do these new video games impede that socialization? I have to admit that secretly I hoped so. I want my experience to be superior. I know this guy who plays Star Wars Galaxies, an online computer game that works kind of like Dungeons & Dragons, and that guy says he's met scores of people in the game that he swears are real friends. Wasn't that game you sitting you sitting by yourself at your computer trying to play against? But other even people? It, yes, versus but even, versus when you got together with, yeah. when you got together with your with your book, even though it's lo-fi, low-tech, it's an excuse to get five bright kids in a room together right. and and whatever happens, right. whatever fun happens, happen right. for like. Three and so as we put away our Dungeons and Dragons books for perhaps the last time, we're content in the knowledge that somehow the old school game is better than the newfangled computer version. I gotta say, I'm proud to be a D and D nerd. But by God, I sure hope my kids don't play it. I've got Dungeon Master's Guide I've got 12-sided die I've got Kitty Pride And Nightcrawler too Waiting there for me, yes I do That was B-Sides Ethan Lindsay. I'm Tamara Keith, and I am at a gaming convention called E for All, and I am here with Mark Gerberman. And uh, have you ever played D&D before? Absolutely. I, I could picture myself on the, in the, the fifth grade on the playground rolling Dungeons and Dragons dice. <laughs> 20-sided die. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's probably where my uh, interest in gaming started. How did you get from there to here? Well, I think it's just the, the uh, collaborative nature of getting together with your friends. And, you know, back then you didn't have cars to go to the movies or go on dates. So this is just a way you could get together and have fun together. And so that, you know, as it uh, we grew up, we were able to get computers and toys. And, and so the computer just rolled into gaming as well in competitive environments, but in a friendly kind of way. And so we are standing on a stage here in some sort of big display. Tell me where we are. <laughs> so we're in the HP Voodoo booth. Uh, here at E4All, uh, and we're uh, showing off our new Blackbird 002 product. Okay, so can we go try out these chair things? Absolutely. So what, we're gonna, what, we're, what we've got here is, these, this is called the GP200 race seat uh, from D-Box Technologies. HP has been working with D-Box over the last couple of years to bring this uh, product from prototype to development. And so we have the first production units available um, on the floor here today. They retail at about $15,000 each, um, and they're compatible with a couple games. Uh, the game we're playing today is a game called R-Factor, and this is a really cool racing simulator that's got everything from monster trucks to F1 racers in it. So this looks like something at Chuck E. Cheese or something, but I imagine that there, it's uh, different. 
this, so this is for the guy who has the game room that has it all. <laughs> he has to have everything and he wants to be the first guy on the block with the coolest new toys. This is for him. This is also for somebody who is a corporate executive or makes more money than, than we do. <laughs> so we'll let you sit in here real quick. For the listeners out there, you can't see this, but now I am seated in a, 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 a seat, a car seat. It's like a racing car seat. It's red. You're basically red. in a cockpit with your, um, you've got a steering wheel and your shifter. Uh, we've got it set up for automatic on this one, but uh, you can go all the way to fully auto, uh, fully manual transmission, just like you were in a true race car. And just like a true race car, I think my feet can barely reach the pedals. <laughs> you can move the seat up, actually reach right under there, and there's a little bar. There you go. So we're waiting for the timer to go down here. You're about to start the race. So you, I take it you probably raced many cars. Like my Subaru? <laughs> go Driving one-handed here. Uh-oh, I'm in the grass. I am not doing well. Ah! <laughs> so what do you think? You like it's a real cool. race car? Feels just like crashing a real race car. I'm definitely waiting for you to leave the parking lot before I leave today. Let me get out of the racing chair so I, oh! <laughs> this convention, there's a ton of people here. Like, it seems like a broad cross-section of people, but I guess they all have one thing in common, which is their dedication to gaming. Absolutely. Uh, you know, this convention is more um, about uh, electronic gaming, with whether it be a console or a PC. Uh, but you, other co conventions, you know, with board games and other games, you see it very transcend, transcend across all the types of genres of gaming. And um, so do you ever play games that don't involve electronics now? Um, no, my days of Dungeons and Dragons are over. <laughs> and like what about card games or um, board games? Absolutely. Still, you know, uh, out on camping trips or when you're away, when you're trying, it's time to unplug. You can't beat a good game of hearts or spades. <laughs> so, so you don't take your laptop camping? <laughs> Every now and then to download pictures, but that's about it. It stays basically unplugged the whole time. <laughs> so have you ever played Bridge? I haven't got into Bridge just yet. Um, I think my ego would hurt too much about being beat by a bunch of um, grandmothers <laughs> consistently because they are very rabid bitch players out there, just as passionate about that game as much as these gamers are passionate about the games they play. I have a friend who is a very passionate bridge gamer, uh, and she's not 80 years old. Her name is Sarah Neal, and here's her story. Bridge is like a sport. It's intense. To be really good, you have to be a genius or give up the rest of your life or both. Three hearts. Pass. Four diamonds. Pass. Four no trump. Pass. Five diamonds. <laughs> Pass. Five no trump. There are, in total, 14 of us that play on a regular basis. We're all 20-somethings with normal social lives, that is, in between our bridge matches. Sometimes we spend entire weekends playing bridge, starting with a game from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Thursday, four hours after a party Friday night, six hours before a party Saturday, and all day Sunday. It's safe to say we're pretty obsessed, but that's what happens when you learn to play bridge. The game is so addictive that I think it would be played by everyone everywhere if it weren't so difficult to learn. You don't always need 13 points to open a hand. Sometimes you could have 
10 points, so but you can have the a really The object is suit. to define the trump suit that you will use and the number of tricks that you can take. Um, and uh, then if you say one heart, then you should have five hearts at least, although some people play with just four hearts. It's not uh, that complicated. Now, if you didn't understand that, let me explain. Bridge has a very special language, a language that can accurately describe any combination of cards you could possibly be dealt. And you don't have to be over 50 to find this language fascinating. You just need 50 years of practice to use it well. My bridge group isn't really fabulously good or anything, but we make time for it. A lot of time. What was the longest bridge game you ever played? I don't know, 12 hours somewhere in there? That's 12 hours straight. There's not too many things anyone would do for 12 hours. We know there's something a little fanatical about our love for the game, but sometimes we choose to keep that to ourselves. I don't exactly drop that in casual conversation because there are a lot of people who don't know what bridge is, for one thing, and then those who have a fair inkling of what it is will often sort of second-guess your personality based on that admission. See, Paul reads a lot of bridge books and studies different bridge hands in the newspaper. I think Paul's obsessed. Mark's the newcomer in the group. He's a little overwhelmed by Paul's intensity. Four hearts. Pass. 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 But he's been playing since high school. This is just something he grew up with. Everyone has free time and needs to have some sort of entertainment. That's why the prevalence of television, you know. We don't have a television. We play bridge. Of course there is a downside to all this bridge playing. Our non-bridge friends, and there are a couple of holdouts, don't call us as often as they used to. They've started calling us freaks, and they've kind of banded together in an anti-bridge coalition. Nathan's their spokesman. He makes us promise not to play before he comes to our parties. There's really... Nothing you can do as an outsider when someone's playing bridge because it's much like a uh, some sort of a weird cult. You trump the five and then throw out and ten and then eight to the five and yes and then everyone says oh of course yes that's what's that's what's happening, but to an outsider, it it sounds like gibberish. Nathan just doesn't get it. If he only knew how it felt he'd understand why Carolyn is still excited about a game she played seven years ago. We rocked the house, and especially it was because of some very wicked bidding. There was a seven-spade, doubled, redoubled, bid and made. It was fantastic. Non-bridge players are really missing out, I think. You guys should really take the plunge. Go ahead, buy a bridge book. Call in sick for a week. Pull out the martini fixings, dust off a couple decks of cards, indulge yourselves just once. You'll never go back, I promise you. It's a one-way ticket to the most gratifying obsession in the world. For B-Side, this is Sarah, 7 No Trump, Neil.
Inside. I'm Tamara Keith, and I am at something called the E for All Gaming Convention. It's a convention of video game fans, and they're they're getting sneak previews of games that haven't even been released yet. And I've got to say, this is probably the most nerdy thing I've ever done, hanging out here. But I'm gonna ask some of the folks here. I bet I bet they've done things that are even more nerdy. Can I get you guys to say your names? Um, my name is Eamon Stewart, and I'm from uh, Ventura, California. I'm from the same place. I'm Alex Paverman. I have a slightly personal question, maybe, that I want to ask you guys. Uh, maybe you'd be willing to answer it. What's the nerdiest thing you guys have ever done? Um, probably stay up every night for the past year looking at Super Smash Bros. Brawl updates. And now you're in line to actually play it. Yeah. This is, like, very exciting, then. That's why I came here, just for this game. I, I think Mine outdoes yours a little bit though. Um, spending a month and a half paper macheing this giant big daddy costume for Video Games Live. And sad part was we didn't even make it in time to wear it though. And, uh, and what is Big Daddy though? Oh, it's it's uh, it's possibly the most fearsome enemy I have ever seen in a game. And you dressed up as it to come to a conference. Totally. Uh, yeah, to go to a concert for Video Games Live. Tell me what Video Games Live is. It was yesterday. It's uh, this orchestrated performance where they play uh, video game music. It was pretty amazing. And they did all sorts of performances. Like someone would wear like a motion sensor shirt and would play with their physical body uh, Space Invaders with the live orchestra playing the music in t and beat with it. It's amazing. The, the song from the game. Yes. Yeah. This, this just definitely then transcends, uh -huh. you know, Nintendo 64 at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is quite possibly the most amazing thing I've ever been to. Wow. I'm asking people, what is the nerdiest oh, yeah, thing you've ever done? Oh, I, well, I slept outside of a Best Buy for a video game console once. It's pretty nerdy. Which one? The Wii. Well, you and know. We, and we, we run a video game store. We run an independent store, but I gave up my pre-order so a customer could have one because we didn't have enough reservations. And then I went to a Best Buy and slept on the concrete, so. But it was a noble cause. And you woke up at 4 o'clock to go to Target to see if they'd have them too. So that was pretty nerdy. A week nerdy. prior, yeah. I woke up at a, to go to Target for a Black Friday sale. They didn't have any. I was just there like an idiot, just standing there. So Maybe you could have gotten like a cheap DVD player I, I or some a, socks. I bought uh, like a flash card or something. And cat food. And cat, I bought cat food too. So. <laughs> now what is the nerdiest thing you've ever done? I can't think of any like really totally nerdy things that I've ever done. You've been to like anime conventions. Yeah, I've been to anime conventions. I've dressed up before and like, I don't know, that's not something that you want to admit to people all the time. So I dress up as Aerith from uh, Kingdom Hearts. So, But uh, people there liked it, but then whenever I tell people, they're like, oh wow, you dressed up and I don't know. <laughs> they think I'm silly, so whatever. And what are your names? I'm Steve Martin. And I'm Renee Jones. And where are you from? from Louisiana. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's the south part of Louisiana. So wait, you came all the way here from Louisiana? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've also been to E3 four times, so this is kind of just, E3 didn't happen this year really, sort of, and Renee never got to go, so we're here for April. So. I would say that flying all the way across the country for a gaming convention might be slightly nerdy too. It's a work-related expense, I can write it off. So. Awesome. And I'm getting paid right now. Okay, well then it's not so bad. All of this talk of nerdiness and geekiness as we were putting the show together got besides renee gattel thinking about the nerdiest guy she knows so she called him
Hi, Dad. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. So I'm, I'm calling you up. I was hoping that you could tell me um, the nerdiest thing that you've ever done. The nerdiest thing I've ever done. I closed a car door on a girl's head when I took her out on a date. H- how did you do that? Well, I was took this girl out. I, I forget where we were going, but I was all excited about taking this girl out. I was probably uh, 16, 17 and uh, and uh, I wasn't watching what I was doing, and she was getting in the car, and I looked away and went ahead and closed the door and just closed the top of the door right on her head. Was she hurt? Fortunately, she wasn't hurt. She got a little bit irate with me, and, you know, she said, you know, David, what are you doing? And that's when I realized that I had uh, done something stupid. But uh, the other thing I, that I remember was I did one time is I forgot a date's name. And uh, I had to introduce her to a friend, and I had, and her name just totally jumped out of my head. That was a pretty nerdy thing. Was was this the same date that you slammed the corridor's head on? No, no, two different, two different women. The the more I listen to you, I'm kind of amazed that you know I was ever even born. <laughs> That you were able to find a woman to, to have a child with and get married to and have me, um, given oh, I, your track record? Well, uh, you know, my boys like to laugh at me, but those are my teenage years. I, uh, I, I got a little bit more suave in my 20s, but not much more. <laughs> not much, but a little bit more. It's funny, when I called you, I thought that you were going to give me different examples than you did. I was thinking of the time that you said that you wore a tie with a turtleneck shirt. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I decided I was going to start a new fashion statement, and I had this orange turtleneck shirt, and I decided to wear a, a, a necktie with it to start a new fashion statement. So I uh, I wore a tie with my turtleneck, yes. I, I'd forgotten that. Um, wh- what about the time that you said that you were at church and you went into the closet or something? No, that, that wasn't nerdy, Renee. That wasn't nerdy at all. No, we were studying C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And uh, I uh, went into the closet before the class, and uh, don't ask me why. I have absolutely no reason why. And I came out of the closet halfway through the Sunday school lesson. And uh, uh, what was sad about it is I should have said, I should have given that Narnia line, did you miss me? But I wasn't even that fast. I just came out of the closet, and they were all taken aback. Of course, they probably saw the connection because the guy teaching the class was a C.S. Lewis uh, uh, expert, but uh, yeah, he still smirks me when I see him, and that happened 25 years ago. So, how long were you sitting in the closet while the class was in session? Probably about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It was, was it quite d- a while? Was it dark in there? Uh, yeah, it was dark. Sure, it was the closet. Well, you know, I mean, we all have our stories. I just have more than more than my share. Okay, well, I I think I'm going to let you off the hook now. Oh, thanks. Okay. (laughs) All right, bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you. That was B-Side's Renee Gattel with her dad. Renee produced this edition of B-Side. We also had editing help from Mia Lobel, Lissa Mudd, and Dave Gilson. Our contributors were Ethan Lindsay, Sarah Neal, and Renee. And to see photos and videos of the making of this episode, 
please visit our website. It's bsideradio.org. That's the letter B-S-I-D-E radio.org. Make sure to tell all your friends about us. Thanks for listening. I'm Tamara Keith, and I'm going to go put this microphone down so I can try out some of these games with both hands. <laughs>